Hi, everyone. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete, actor, author, advocate, do-it-all mom, and I'm also a caregiver. And this is Care Walks, a podcast from iHeartRadio and Voltaren Arthritis Pain Gel. It's a show for family caregivers who give everything to everyone and need to make time for themselves through movement. Every episode is designed for you to walk as you listen. So just think of me and my guests as your weekly walking buddies. We'll hear stories from caregivers and gain tips and insights from health experts and advocates who know how important it is to take care of yourself and manage joint pain due to arthritis that often accompanies being a caregiver. We'll discover community, ourselves, and maybe even alleviate some joint pain due to arthritis in the process as we walk together and connect to the best parts of being a caregiver. I can't believe it. We have arrived at our final episode for this first season of Care Walks. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. Over the course of this season, we've reflected on how caregiving has changed our lives and how we can better care for our own bodies and minds while becoming conscientious caregivers for our loved ones. Just a reminder, right now you're listening to the full version of this episode, but if you don't have time for a full walk today, then go check out our abridged version of the same episode. It's like Cliff Notes for podcasts. Setting out on this journey, I was really excited to hear from other caregivers and honestly curious to know how their experience was similar or different to mine. But even beyond that, exploring the many approaches to self-care, from scheduling weekly time to yourself to making movement a daily practice. Throughout this season, I've learned so much from our guests, and I'm so grateful to be part of this movement to recognize the needs and well-being of family caregivers. For this last episode, I want to talk about caregiver burnout. According to the website Aging in Place, a free online resource for aging at home, about 85% of family caregivers in the U.S. do not receive any respite care. Burnout isn't something we typically are preparing ourselves for. Oftentimes, we don't realize we are burnout until it's already taken a big toll on us. So today, we're also going to dig into how we can keep burnout at bay. Later in this episode, you'll hear from Lindsay Pace, a licensed therapist and advocate for those adjusting to major life changes like becoming a caregiver. Lindsay helps caregivers build resiliency and take the steps towards a full and prosperous life. Together, Lindsay and I will talk about the signs of burnout and how caregivers can continue to use self-care as a means of healing from overextension. But before we get to my conversation with Lindsay, let's get walking. Begin to let go of any negative feelings you're holding on to and find a sense of release. Let go of any stress and any anxiety that you may be feeling or resonating in your body. Allow this time to be about you, for you. Take a deep breath. In through your nose. And now exhale out your mouth. Let's do this again. And as you exhale, I want you to release a sigh. In through your nose. 
Then release that sigh as you exhale through your mouth. Great job. Now, last one. Inhale deeply. And exhale with a sigh. We want to remember to be mindful of our energy. We cannot operate on an empty tank. And time spent filling your tank makes for a better and brighter you. As you find your stride, join me as I explore how we can combat caregiver burnout with Lindsay Pace. Lindsay Pace is a licensed therapist in Virginia who counsels folks who are adjusting to stressful life changes, helping individuals who are stuck in negative patterns and burn out by the demands of caring for those around them. She is going to help us recognize the signs of burnout, better cope with that added stress, and reinforce our self-care strategies to combat caregiver burnout. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lindsay. Hi, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to talk to you. Can you tell me what inspired your work as a therapist and and what, what led you to focus on helping those who care for others? Yeah, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I've been in the field about 16 years, and my first 10 years were in hospice. And so I worked in the hospice field where I'm going into people's homes, uh, working with patients who have a terminal illness, and working with the families and the caregivers to help them process, feel supported, um, navigate what's to come. And it was through those years that I recognized how much we ask of caregivers and how much is is on them to do and the lack of, you know, unfortunately resources that they need to adequately care for themselves while they're caring for somebody else. And it was through that time that I really wanted to focus in on anxiety. Anxiety disorders is my area of specialty now that I'm in private practice because what we would often see is, is people become very anxious in the caregiving role. People experience a lot of depression in the caregiving role and, of course, a lot of overlap with burnout as well. So that's what brought me to the field of working with caregivers. That is fascinating work. I... I have always wondered uh, about hospice care and about the emotion that you go through when you're trying to walk someone through that really difficult time. And I think it's fascinating to me that from that, you you really looked at the caregiver aspect of this and how hard it is to go through all of that emotionally, physically. You know, we take care of someone for so long and then you, it gets to that point I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't even take the time to acknowledge that they're feeling burnout, acknowledge that they're really struggling emotionally and and psychologically and with their mental health. Because we always put ourselves at the back of the line, right, when Mm -hmm. it comes to caregiving. So from your work, how do you see the role of caregiver um, and pushing our care for ourselves to the back burner? How do you... How do you see that and and what are ways that we can speak to caregivers about that? Well, I think that the individuals who find themselves becoming the primary caregiver, 
usually are naturally inclined to be feelers and attuned to the needs of others, have more of a willingness to put themselves on the back burner. It definitely attracts a certain kind of person to do the work, not always, but most of the time. And so when you're in this role of primary caregiver and you have a a person who is increasingly dependent on you, you just continue to step up to the plate, whatever the next need is. Okay, how can I meet it? What can I do? And it can be very easy to be very tunnel visioned on the individual that you're caring for um, and task oriented. Okay, I've got a problem. Let's solve it. And not having time because issues come up frequently. Changes are required regularly with caregiving to examine what am I needing? How am I doing? And so people don't recognize that they've kind of crossed a line in their self-care until they are really burned out or experiencing depression or having other health issues that unfortunately have to be a wake-up call. I would say the biggest contributing factor to burnout is feeling like you have the weight of this person's life on your shoulders and your shoulders only. Maybe you think that nobody can do it like me, therefore I'm not going to ask for help. Or maybe the person does not have anyone they can ask for help. And that would be a real contributor to the burnout happening. Are there ways to ask that are effective that you found? I think being specific is the best yes. way to ask for help. Yes. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, hey, I need help and expecting them to identify something that they can do, get very specific. I need help on Tuesdays from one to three so that I can do whatever it might be. Yeah. So just take the generality out, right? So be mm-hmm. very specific. I need you to take my dog to the vet for me today, or yes. I need, you know, very specific. The more specific you are, then I think that kind of limits the person that you're asking. They really understand what specifically is needed from them. And it's not like, it's not gray. It's not a gray area. That's a great, great tip. What other signs would you say that you you might see as well uh, of caregiver burnout? Are there physical signs that you can see or what else do we look for? Yeah, I think when we're looking for burnout, if if a person is in a caregiving situation and they're kind of asking themselves, am I burned out? I would look at whether or not you are experiencing more cynicism, you know, about the role of being a caregiver. Oh, that's interesting. How much resentment are you carrying? Are you feeling increasingly tired and exhausted and experiencing that sense of isolation and helplessness? So that would be what I'm looking for. When I walked into a home with hospice patients and families, when I noticed those symptoms, I was, you know, thinking, yes, we are, we've reached a limit and we had to be very sensitive about how we would work with the caregiver because the last thing you want to do to someone who's burned out is say, hey, you're burned out and you need to do X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Right. That doesn't seem like it would be helpful. No, no. How do you think we can manage our expectations that we have for ourselves as caregivers? I know as a caregiver for my dad, uh, when he uh, was diagnosed with Parkinson's, I was very young and didn't even think about, well, 
you know, I'm 19 and think about, you know, managing any of my expectations uh, because I was so young. But I think we have so many more resources now and something like Care Walks where we can talk about these things. So how how can we as caregivers just manage these expectations we have for ourselves? Yeah, overextend, overcommit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all of those things. Well, you know, everyone comes to the caregiving position by different means. Some people march boldly into it, you know, volunteering, here am I, let's do this, right? And they're eager and excited. Other people kind of just find themselves, oh, there's nobody else. I guess I have to do this. You know, there'd be a variety of expectations a person would have going into being a caregiver. I would say the first thing that we need to recognize is that caregiving is costly. It is costly, you know, financially. It is costly physically, emotionally, mentally, on relationships, you know, understanding that there is a cost to making this decision and recognizing that there's also the potential for a great reward. But I have to hold those at the same level, that there is going to be a cost, there will be consequences, and there's also a reward opportunity here. And holding those to the same degree versus just, okay, I'm going to do this, but um, recognizing that there are consequences. As far as adjusting expectations, You know, I would walk into homes that were pristine, you know, where they, you know, vacuum every day and they have all of these routine household activities that they maintain while caring for somebody who is, you know, bed bound and total care and needs help with feeding and every, every activity of daily living. And yet they're still trying to maintain this rigorous and rigid schedule of, household responsibilities. And so I would encourage people, is there just one thing, one thing that you can let go of for a season? I always like to say for a season because caregiving does not last forever. And so putting down one thing for a season that you can pick up again later so that you can lower the amount of pressure and responsibility you have on yourself for now. Oh, that's another good takeaway. Another good takeaway, Lindsay, because it just minimizes some of the overwhelming confusion you have when you have so many things coming at you at once Mm -hmm. for a season. Writing that down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so tell me more about the reward opportunity with being a caregiver. How do you define what that is and what that even looks or feels like? Mm. I think that, of course, this will vary person to person. Mm -hmm. But the rewards that I often heard from people were that they got to spend time with their loved one that they would not have had had they not been in the caregiving role. They got to see sides of their loved one that they didn't know existed, that they really enjoyed and could really share stories about. And for some relationships, it's a chance of reconnection and redemption sometimes. You know, maybe the relationship was not what it could have been, you know, when things were well. And unfortunately, being in the caregiving situation, we know that someone is not well. But it could be a chance for reconciliation for people. And I've seen that. Yes. And, you know, the other half of the battle is, you know, remedying our exhaustion. Mm -hmm. You know, how how do we go about recovering 
when we recognize that we're burnout, what are some of the things that we can do? Obviously, you said, you know, take some things off your plate. Are there other things? Yes, certainly. There are other things that we can do for the level of exhaustion. That is simply, we're looking at energy conservation. How can we conserve energy right Mm -hmm. now while resources are low? Again, you know, putting that for a season behind it. It will not always be this way. So for now, what can we do to conserve this energy? Do we need to hire someone to clean the home? Do we need to utilize medication from the doctor that will help our loved ones sleep so that we can sleep or from the doctor that will help us sleep? Relief can come from all sorts of sources, including having someone do your grocery shopping. Yes. I personally loved using Shipped for my groceries, and that is time that's saved for me. And yes, I might pay a little extra, but it saves me that time and that energy that I would rather give to my family. Those kinds of things can be really helpful in conserving energy when energy is already low. Yes. And you mentioned earlier, we were talking about the the journey of how to get to becoming a caregiver and we mm-hmm. all get there in different ways. But yeah, when you are sort of, I don't want to say the word forced into it, but when it sort yeah. of is, you're the only option. Yep. And then that does sometimes build some feelings of resentment, feelings of mm-hmm. not feeling appreciated. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to someone who like that, who's burnout, but they're also a little resentful? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a hard place to be because sometimes when you're in that resentful place, you think, I shouldn't have to ask. I shouldn't have to, you know, <laughs> X, Y, and Z. We can get stuck in our resentment simply by, I call them should statements, right? Should statements is a criticism, doesn't produce any kind of progress forward. It's just, I shouldn't have to. I, they should know what I want, right? So recognizing if, okay, check in with yourself right now. Am I feeling resentful? What does that feel like? What am I doing about it? Okay, have I asked anybody for help? So the first thing would be to make your needs known. Let them be known. Let people know that you are frustrated, that you are feeling some resentment. I can't guarantee what their response is going to be. <laughs> yeah, that that's... A very important part of it. Yes. But I do think that um, you can be wise in recognizing who might be a person you can share this with that can respond in a way that is helpful. If you truly have no one like that, this is where caregiver support groups are an excellent resource where you can talk with other caregivers who find themselves in the same situation. Also, going to therapy. It Mm -hmm. can be very traumatic, the reason that you are a caregiver. And so working maybe with a therapist to help you process this huge transition and the road ahead of you. And thankfully, with COVID, most therapists offer telehealth. So you don't even have to leave the home and find someone to sit with your loved one. We'll be right back with more from Lindsay Pace. And now, back to my conversation with Lindsay Pace. The physical toll of caregiving uh, can, is, it can really be difficult on the body. 
And yes. in your experience, what, what things stand out about the physical demands in the caregiving journey? Often in the caregiving situation, they're having to help somebody move, who, someone maybe who is immobile, maybe someone who is bedbound. So doing a lot of lifting and pulling and churning physically, um, aside from the exhaustion, there are occupational hazards that caregivers have to be aware of. Yes, there are. So what are some of your favorite self-care practices that help you prioritize movement or find stress relief, either physically or emotionally? Well, I used to be better at this than I am now. Um, (laughs) In fact, I have a goal to get back outside and walk daily. But if I'm not able to do that, it might be that I'm turning on a music dance video on YouTube and just dancing like a crazy person with my kids. And it gives us an opportunity to move and connect and laugh. And those things are vital to disrupting the stress or the exhaustion that might be going on. Yeah. I have a son who has autism and he's favorite thing to relieve his stress is jumping on a trampoline. And oh, so yeah. we it's been we are a jumping family. Like all of uh-huh. us go out there <laughs> and get on this trampoline. Uh, if you can imagine all six of us mm-hmm. out there, even the dog gets on the trampoline and jumps. But just the stress relief and just the laughter, even laughing about the dog getting on and, you know, and all the things that we do. So just that movement, that little movement mm-hmm. can really create a release that mm-hmm. you otherwise wouldn't have just stagnantly sitting. So it's just about getting up and doing it, right? Just just making that first step. Yes. And it can it can totally change the tone of the situation. So if you notice that you're just sitting there and you're overwhelmed by something, simply changing posture and position yep. can help break you out of that. So it doesn't take a lot to accomplish that. If you can move your body in any way, um, do it. Um, dedicate a little bit of time each day to that. I love that this podcast encourages caregivers to walk while they listen. That's just a wonderful motivation and it gives people, okay, it's my podcast time. I'm going to go and do this walk now because simply being outside, moving your body can help relieve some of the stress and pressure that you're carrying. When you're a caregiver, you end up in a very hyper-vigilant, hyper-aware, this checking always going on in your mind of what do I need to do next? That's a stress response system that's been activated. And To work that out is to release some of that energy. So going for a walk, doing something that creates a little bit of an increased heart rate can be very helpful in working out that increased energy. Have you noticed that in your experience, have you noticed that taking time to connect with others can help combat burnout for caregivers? Yes, absolutely. Because then you can recognize, oh, it's not just me. There's other people who are experiencing this because sometimes we think that because it's hard, we must be doing something wrong, Mm -hmm. or maybe there's a better way to do this. And really, it's just hard. There is not one great way to be a caregiver that's going to assure that you have no resentment and no guilt and no frustration. And so connecting with other people can be very healing, very validating, and perhaps give you hope 
to move forward through the caregiving journey. So Lindsay, when you're starting to recognize the symptoms of burnout, how can caregivers work through these negative feelings and avoid taking it out on those around them? Great question. And I would like to say that there is no way we can avoid these negative feelings. The goal, especially when I'm working with clients in private practice, we're not trying to get rid of or eliminate any of these negative thoughts or feelings. We're trying to choose a new way to respond to them and interact with them. So if you are noticing that you are bombarded with negative thoughts about your family who's not helping, and you get into this automatic thought loop about they should do more, they, you know, they this, they that, noticing the thought process that you're stuck in, noticing the negative feelings that come up with that. And a lot of times when we notice we're doing something that we know isn't helpful, we then start to be hard on ourselves. So instead of being critical or judgmental, I should be grateful. Why am I feeling like this? Something's wrong with me. Acknowledging those negative feelings with acceptance, with compassion, and without judgment. And when we can allow ourselves to have these negative feelings and negative thoughts without trying to get rid of them and push them away or let them take over, we can be with ourselves when we're uncomfortable and not engage in unhealthy or unhelpful behaviors. Great advice. And I think the thing that really jumps out at me that is so different from the way I approach caregiving at 19 with my dad with Parkinson's or even later on with my son with autism was that I never acknowledged Mm -hmm. my feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, I never, there was no mindfulness about, oh, I'm feeling this way. It was always suppress it, suppress it. Yep. This kid needs me right now. I don't have time to feel this way. My dad Mm -hmm. needs me right now. And that is, I think, so important that people Mm -hmm. allow themselves to really acknowledge that it's okay to feel that, embrace Mm -hmm. it, and then it's how you react to that and what you do with those feelings. Right. Sometimes we interpret our negative feelings as problematic, that Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have these, they shouldn't be here, what is wrong? But negative feelings are just a part of life. They come and go like every other emotion. And when we focus in on trying to get rid of them or avoid them, we're giving them more energy than if we had just let them show up and let them leave when they were done. I have an exercise if you'd like to hear about it. It's called dropping the anchor. Oh, come on. I'm okay, writing it so, down. I got my pen. How do this we drop is not, the anchor? <laughs> yes, this is not my my uh, creation. This is from Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Nice. Russ Harris is the developer. And it's a very simple technique based on a metaphor of a boat going out to sea. When the boat's going out to sea and it notices that a storm is coming up, it's um, got a couple options. It can return to the shore, but likely the storm's going to catch up to it. It can continue on its course, but then it's definitely going to meet the storm or it will drop its anchor. And usually the boat's going to drop its anchor because the anchor will steady the boat through the storm. It doesn't make the storm stop. It doesn't make the storm go any faster, but it does steady the boat while the storm passes. 
And once the storm is passed, it pulls up the anchor and it carries on its way. Now, the boat will still rock, right? The waves are still going to hit the boat, but it's not going to be as detrimental as if it had raced back to shore or just sped on through the storm. So we often, whether we're a caregiver or not, can find ourselves in emotional storms where we are overwhelmed Mm -hmm. with our thoughts and our feelings and worries about the future. And we can get really caught up in those and make some poor decisions or say things we don't mean. And then, of course, that causes more of an emotional storm. Yes. Or we can drop our anchor instead of getting swept away by that storm. We might still have some of the storm remnants going on, but we have a little bit more space to be able to act in a way that aligns with our values and keeps us from causing more harm. That's awesome. The engagement, I love the engagement and an opportunity to just drop that anchor. Yes. Drop that anchor. I love that. So Lindsay, it has been awesome speaking with you. Thank you so much. I know how important this topic is to so many um, in the caregiving journey, just understanding what burnout looks like, understanding what you might be able to do to avoid it, to prevent it, to, to make it less painful. And I just, I'm so glad that we were able to have this conversation. And just thank you so much for the work that you do. People like you, I call angels on the path. You're people that really help in situations that seem so impossible. And you'll understand what it is we need to hear at certain times that can be very, very high stress situations. So thank you for your work in this this field. And thank you for talking to us on Care Walks. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here and to share my experience. And hopefully um, any caregivers that are listening have some good practical takeaways to help them on their journey. Thanks again to Lindsay Pace for joining me for our last episode of Care Walks. Our conversation today and certainly all of our time together has taught me so much about prioritizing self-care. Burnout is so real. And when we learn to recognize the signs and make healthier choices as caregivers, we honor our role and we honor the ones we love too. Hearing about Lindsay's work with diverse caregivers reminded me how we all walk different paths on this journey. And ultimately, we can all benefit from building our caregiver community. We are stronger together and when we acknowledge our needs. Remember that showing up for ourselves enables us to better show up for others. I'm sad to say goodbye for now as we close out this first season of Care Walks. But I want to thank everyone who is listening for letting us join you every week on your walk. I hope you continue to use this resource throughout your caregiving. Keep walking. You're doing great. And until next time, don't forget to always take care of yourself, too. Care Walks is produced by iHeartRadio in partnership with Voltaren Arthritis Pain Gel and hosted by me, Holly Robinson-Pete. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our head engineer is Matt Stillo. This episode was written and produced by Sierra Kaiser. With special thanks to our partners at GSK, Platform GSK, Weber Shandwick, and Edelman.